about where she could have put her keys last. Looked all over the place and thought, well, maybe they're in the bag of garbage. The bag of garbage which was out in the dumpster. So she went out to the dumpster and crawled in. At least that's where she was when the uh, truck came along and emptied the dumpster and headed down the road for a two-mile trip to the dump. And um, she was yelling and screaming and um, having quite a time of it in there with the orange peels and the banana peels and the coffee grounds and whatever else is in the garbage. And the truck driver didn't, didn't hear her, but somebody on the sidewalk did and got his attention just as he was ready to compact the garbage. And uh, they got her out covered with all this stuff. She was still conscious and she was fine, except for a few bruises. And uh, I think of that story when I read the book of Hebrews where it talks about so great salvation. We have been spared and saved from a much greater fate than that of uh, being compacted by a garbage truck. Let's uh, sing Psalm 48, Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Now, there's nothing exactly for the children this morning, I don't think, so I thought I'll tell a story or two with the children in mind especially. A number of years ago, a friend of mine had a six-year-old boy called Philip. Philip lived on a dairy farm. He loved being there on the farm. He liked to be with his daddy. And one summer day, beautiful day, he was happy to be outside. And his dad was using the skid steer to load up some manure and uh, then spread it on the fields. And sometimes he would get to drive along with the, uh, in the cab of the John Deere tractor. This particular day, um, everything was going fine until uh, suddenly the skid steer stopped and wouldn't work anymore. And so he tinkered with a few things and couldn't get anything going. And then he decided, well, I may as well go and call the implement dealer, which he went into the house to do. But before he did that, he, uh, uh, the cows had been let out for some exercise. And uh, so he set a few bales for them. And um, then he told his six-year-old son, Philip, to guard the open gate, just in case any of the nosy cows came along, he would be able to uh, chase them back. So Philip, he got a little stick, and uh, he was uh, going to keep the cows inside the, the barnyard. Well, his daddy was longer than uh, he expected to be, uh, talking on the telephone, and so the cows um, came out after a while and were 
chewing on the hay, but along with them came the big Holstein bull that uh, Philip's daddy had forgotten was also let out for exercise. And the bull came over to, um, toward the gate, toward the open gate, and he began to bellow and to paw the ground. And, and uh, little Philip was afraid of the bull, but he had this little stick, and he waved his stick at the bull, and he also prayed to God that God would protect him from this bull. And he knew that he should be obedient to his daddy, and so he was going to guard the gate. And so he continued to pray, and the bull would come close, and then uh, back away a bit, and then come closer within about six feet, about two steps of him. And uh, a little Philip, as well as praying and waving his stick, he uh, was yelling for help, and his grandma, who was uh, living in the house across the road, heard some noise and thought perhaps it was children playing, and then she thought, no, this is a cry of desperation, and so she came running, and about the same time, Philip's daddy came out from the uh, house, and uh, um, the grandmother observed that the bull would come close, and then stopped, and would continue to roll his head and his eyes and bellow and uh, have his tongue hanging out like bulls do, and get ready for the charge, and this happened Time and again, she saw as she was hurrying over toward him that the bull would only get so close and then would back away. And Philip's daddy then came and uh, looked after the bull and put him in his pen where uh, he should have been. Little Philip admitted afterwards that when he was praying, he didn't close his eyes. <laughs> he felt sort of guilty about that, but... Uh, was that just a chance? Well, his parents and grandparents and myself think it was an angel that was there to keep the bull from getting any closer to little Philip in answer to his prayer. Now the story that comes to mind, I was uh, traveling on an airplane in Texas last fall, and uh, just a small craft, about 30, 40 people on it. Anyway, um, I was pleased to have a seat empty beside me, and the lady across the aisle, just a single seat there, she didn't have much room for her carry-on, and so she wondered if she could put the carry-on over uh, at the foot of the empty seat where I was sitting beside, and so I said, well, you can do that, but if there's food in there, uh, I might help myself to it. And uh, she smiled and said, well, you might find it pretty, pretty hot and spicy. Uh, she comes from India, and so I wonder what she's doing here in Texas. And uh, it turned out she uh, has a ministry. She's a Christian woman, and she works with lepers and beggars and HIV-infected uh, children particularly. And uh, she told me that she goes into various villages in southeastern India, and she gives out some simple medicines and uh, maybe a bit of clothing. And then they ask her, why are you doing this for us? And she said, it's because of Jesus. And they'd say, well, what, what do you mean? Who's Jesus? And then she'd have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus and about uh, salvation through Christ. And uh, she has gone into many villages where they've never heard the name of Jesus before. 
And uh, she told me that now, after a number of years of this ministry, um, there are 57 churches where there are at least one Christian. And uh, she told me about, well, she'd, she'd come to Texas because there were some churches there that were interested in, in assisting her financially, and so she wanted to give them updates about what was happening. She told me of uh, one man, he was uh, unable to walk, he was a paraplegic, he was a cripple, and uh, he had never, I don't know if he had ever walked or not, but he wasn't able to walk for the past number of years anyway. And uh, he came out to her, and she told him about Jesus and about the greatness of the Savior, and he said, look, I have sacrificed a goat and three chickens to my God so that he would heal me, and he never did. You say your God is so great, you pray to him and ask him to heal me. So the lady said she would, and so for the next three weeks, every Monday, <clears throat> she and another lady would pray for this man. And on the fourth Monday, she went back to the village and walking out to meet her with the help of a, a cane or a walker was this man who was a paraplegic up until God answered those prayers. And uh, he didn't become a, a believer. He, he, he said, I believe in your God. He didn't become a Christian for a year or two after that before he was baptized. But he continues to walk, I believe, to the present time. Our God is great. Let's sing Great is the Lord once more. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion of the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Shall we stand to pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your power and for your mercy and for the attributes that are described in the scriptures. Thank you that you love us and you send Jesus to provide so great salvation for us. When we were in the garbage of sin, you have spared us. We thank you for the scriptures and for the hope that they give us, and we pray that we, through patience, might have hope in the Scriptures as we place our trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit, and we pray that he would be present this morning and point us to Christ and teach us things from the Word. Thank you for all the young people here and others and for the children, and we pray together we might worship you and learn of your ways. We pray for... Uh, other people who are worshiping you today, perhaps in our home communities, and uh, we pray that you would bless them there. Through Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our topic this morning is about mistakes and uh, failing successfully. Now, I think this is the first time there's been a service in this building. 
of this sort, and I have a rather uh, uh, precarious position here perhaps, although it's, it, it's not as rocky as it had been earlier today. So uh, there may be a mistake in which I topple off, in which case I hope to fail successfully and get back up again. Let me tell you about a few mistakes. A couple of weeks ago I was heading to the school where I teach, a Christian school, and um, it was a fairly nice cold day, and I was looking forward to uh, playing hockey with my students again that day, and teaching them a few things, and I noticed the wind was starting to blow a bit, and it began to snow, and within a few minutes after that, I was in whiteout conditions. I thought I was going straight, could not really see where I was going. Um, traveled that way for about a mile, realized I had made a mistake in continuing on, although I didn't have many opportunities to uh, get off the road either. Fortunately, uh, my daughter who teaches with me uh, was in the passenger seat of the car and she would say, Dad, you're getting close to the ditch again. And so I would steer over toward the center line, or what I thought might be the center line, couldn't see it. And uh, I would have been in the ditch for sure had she not been there to look out the side window and tell me. And eventually I got to a crossroad and was able to get off the uh, road and uh, went to a, there was a place of business there where I was able to stay and uh, my, our daughter until the uh, snow subsided somewhat. Well, sometimes our mistakes are, uh, are able to be overcome and nothing serious results from them. Uh, also about two weeks ago, uh, you may have heard of this uh, man in Mississippi, a, uh, Williams was his name, and anyway, they thought he was dead, and so the coroner pronounced him dead. Walter Williams, 87, had no pulse, and so they called the funeral home, and they put him in a body bag and transported him to the funeral home and were ready to embalm him when they noticed that there was a bit of leg movement in the body bag, and uh, then they got him out, and they noticed he was also breathing a bit, and so they decided not to embalm him, and... Uh, they called the paramedics and uh, they found a heartbeat and he continued to um, recover. And so his family was delighted to have him living yet. He was talking with them and he was, he was released out of the hospital. And uh, uh, I think on Wednesday of this last week now, four days ago, he, he died for sure. And uh, so sometimes professionals make mistakes as well. Turn to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, if you will. Romans 15 and verse 4. Is this sound system coming through? Okay. I have three points this morning. First of all, it's desirable to learn from the mistakes of others. Secondly, how to fail successfully. And thirdly, I'd like to point out that some mistakes have permanent consequences. First of all, 
shall we learn from the mistakes of others. Romans 15 and verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So, we have experiences of others that we can learn from. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. I'd like to read also. There are several other verses here in 1 Corinthians 10 if you'd like to turn there. Um, similar thought in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So what were some of the lessons? Verse 6. Now, all, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So avoid evil desires. And verse 7, neither be idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Today it might be sitting down to watch others rise up and play at Super Bowls and other places of uh, idol worship, as well as the movie stars and so on that people worship today. Verse 8 speaks of another very current problem. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. And let's not put Christ to the test. Verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. And then um, the generation of gripers, which uh, Mennonites sometimes are, it seems. Verse 10 says, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And for that matter... Don't be overconfident, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Can we learn from the mistakes of others? Well, a man about my age over in Russia learned a lesson a few months ago. Um, his wife prepared some soup for him. The soup wasn't to his liking. It wasn't hot enough for him. And so uh, they had some words, and he stormed out of the house and went out into the, into the forest area. And he got lost, and he stayed lost for a month, and he survived barely on berries and wild uh, and some leaves that he was eating. And when he finally, uh, I guess, was found, um, suffering from malnutrition and frostbite, he came back to his wife and he said, uh, to people, uh, no matter what happens, that's the last time I criticize my wife's cooking. So I've tried to take a lesson from that as well. In the Old Testament, we read of various uh, people who made mistakes. Turn to Genesis chapter 4 for one of the first mistakes. I think Genesis 3, the uh, eating of the forbidden fruit, was a foundational mistake. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3, it tells us of Cain, who brought an offering to the Lord. And verse 4 tells us Abel also brought uh, an offering. It was from the first thing, firstlings of his flock. And the Lord appreciated Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Cain got very uptight about this. And he got angry, very wroth. And you could tell it by his face and also by his heart. And the Lord said, verse 6, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? 
And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, croucheth like a wild animal. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I don't imagine they were the kindest words. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Mistake number one, wrong offering. Then he got angry at God. He didn't appreciate God's appeal. Perhaps he was arguing with his brother. Anyway, he murdered his brother. Another mistake was made by Achan. Joshua chapter 7 and verse 1. Book of Joshua <clears throat> chapter 7 and verse 1 tells us that the children of Israel committed a trespass in the thing that they were told not to touch or take. And Achan had uh, taken silver, gold, and clothing from Jericho. And that caused a great deal of trouble in Israel and caused him a great deal of trouble as well. And so verse 20 says... Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. He saw, and he coveted, and he hid, and then he was put to death. Well, things like this happen nowadays, too, with uh, lots of cases of dishonesty. Back in Pennsylvania, somebody was stealing cars that were left alongside the road, uh, having car trouble. And so in... Uh, course of about five weeks' time, a dozen cars were removed, stolen, and uh, so the police decided they're going to try to catch this thief, and so they planted a decoy car alongside the highway, and a few days later, the, uh, there was a tow truck came along and stopped at the decoy car and loaded it up and drove away, and the police followed him to uh, the shop where he was planning to remove parts from the car and then dispose of it. Well, they had an easy time then uh, arresting him. Sometimes um, we mistakenly assume things. A man out on the West Coast um, decided he's going to make a little better time than uh, others. Uh, he had a nice Porsche car and uh, the cars ahead of him were, had come to a standstill, and so he decided to um, swerve around them and uh, drove uh, smack dab into a, a lane of freshly poured concrete. And he sank down a foot, and that's where he stayed for a good while. <laughs> he made a bad assumption. I've made some bad assumptions, too. Turn to Exodus chapter 2 for still another Old Testament example. He made a mistake. This is Moses. Moses assumed that he would be understood as a, someone who was an arbitrator. And uh, you may recall, as it says in verse 11, that uh, Moses, as a grown-up, saw how the Israelites were being mistreated. He saw an Egyptian hitting a Hebrew. And so he uh, looked one way, and they looked the other way, and he said, uh, I'm going to settle this, and I'm going to do justice. And so he killed him and hit him. And then uh, the next day he went out, and two of the Hebrews were having a little scrap, and he was going to get this settled too. And uh, 
The one said, uh, who made you an authority around here? Are you going to do like you did yesterday and kill one of us? And so Moses realized he'd better take off, which he did. Sometimes our mistakes cause us uh, more embarrassment than uh, serious trouble. When I'm at the airport, I think about uh, the story of the lady who had to wait for her plane for a little bit, and so she decided she's going to buy a book. And as she uh, um, was having, having a bit of time, she thought she'll have a little snack, so she bought a, a package of cookies and... Uh, then uh, she went and started reading her book, and uh, um, a man, gentleman, came along and uh, sat on a seat uh, two down from her at the airport there, and uh, then uh, she got absorbed in her book, and next thing she realized that this gentleman had reached down to the package of cookies on the seat beside them, between them, and he had taken one of these cookies. And she thought, what nerve. And so she thought, well, she's not going to let him have all the cookies. So she took one. And then uh, after a while, he took another, and she took another, and, and there was just one left. So he took it and broke it in half and took half of it and left the other half, which she ate. And she was sort of fuming inside about this incident. And then uh, she was still thinking about this, uh, she got onto the plane and uh, was seated, and then she wanted to get out a, a tissue from her purse and reached into her purse and pulled out her still unopened package of cookies from her purse. And then she realized she had made a little mistake. <laughs> Sometimes we make mistakes with words. Um, basketball player gave this bit of information. I've never had major knee surgery on any other part of my body. <laughs> uh, here's um, a couple statements from the presidents of the United States. President Ford said, if Lincoln were alive today, he'd roll over in his grave. <laughs> and um, Ronald Reagan he was preparing to address the American people on a radio broadcast. He was unaware that the mic had already been turned on. He was going to have a little fun with those around him. And so he said, My fellow Americans, I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We will begin bombing in five minutes. <laughs> There are Bible characters who made some big mistakes with their words, too. Judges chapter 11. Of course, with the problems in Russia today, maybe that wouldn't have been such a bad idea, <laughs> Americans might think. Judges 11 tells us about a judge called Jephthah, and he made a vow that if the Lord would help him in winning a victory... He would uh, offer, make a special offering to the Lord. And Judges chapter 11 and verse 30 says, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands, then shall it be that 
Whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Well, verse 34 tells us the uh, next thing. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her he had no, neither son nor daughter. Rash words. Going on in Judges to Judges chapter 16, we have the account of uh, Samson. And he had some wrong desires, and he got involved with this woman, Delilah. And verse 16 of Judges 16 tells us, It came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor unto my head. Goes on to say how he was a Nazarite. She took advantage of him as she found out the secret of his strength. Now then I'd like to turn to the New Testament and think about failing successfully in particular. Matthew chapter 26 tells us about an outspoken man. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30. He wasn't intending to make a mistake, but he made a whopper. Matthew 26 and verse 30. This is after uh, the Gethsemane experience. Or just before it, actually. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And for that matter, the other disciples made the same proclamation. He was pretty sure. Well, Going on in the chapter to verse 69, we find out the outcome of this story. Matthew 26, 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace. This is when Jesus was, had been arrested and was being interrogated. And a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. When he had gone out into the porch, another maid saw him, and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by, and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Well, individuals and, for that matter, businesses may 
make some mistakes? Is there hope? And you may have made some mistakes. No doubt you have, and maybe some pretty serious ones. In my lifetime, well, back in the 60s, uh, the Ford Motor Company, uh, they had been cruising along with a good share of the market, thanks uh, quite a bit to the mighty Thunderbird. But they thought they'd better shake up this organization a bit and start come out with a new car that'll really wow the the consumer, and so they uh, had this idea to develop a car which uh, Henry Ford named after his son, Edsel. And um, they tried to get it from drawing board to driving condition in two years, and uh, the quality control guy, Robert McNamara, he was also the Secretary of Defense during the Vietnam War, for any of you old-timers might remember that, Anyway, they built 75 uh, model demonstration vehicles for journalists, and they needed to have uh, two months getting them in shape. They had to scrap seven of them to get enough spare parts, and uh, in a word, uh, uh, the Edsels were a failure. Then in the 80s, the big boys at Coca-Cola decided uh, they'd better come up with a new formula for a new taste to uh, stave off the advances of Pepsi. And so they concocted a new formula, adjusting the level of caramel and sugar and caffeine and vanilla and all the stuff that goes into Coca-Cola. And uh, they launched it, maybe appropriately, on April 1st. Uh, the new Coke, I still remember it. I tasted it. tasted bad, I thought. And a lot of other people agreed with me. And so they put pressure on Coca-Cola, and uh, they went back to the uh, old classic once again. But these organizations learned from their mistakes. Uh, after the Edsel flop, um, Ford launched a new automobile called the Mustang, and uh, five years later they were back in the, the front seat of sales in America. And uh, classic Coke recovered too, and uh, they got back to about uh, 40 percent market share. In the case of Simon Peter, it wasn't a financial thing, but it was more serious than that. And though he was uh, confident, in fact overconfident, he did, I think, fail successfully in a number of ways. I'd like you to consider some ways that we can fail successfully if we follow the example of Simon Peter. For one thing, Peter was sorry for his sin. And he went out and he wept bitterly. He was penitent. He was sorry that he had denied his Savior. Another thing that uh, he teaches us, and that is uh, he learned the danger of overconfidence. And I read earlier, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So he learned to have less confidence in himself and more confidence in the power of God. And so within several weeks, Peter was preaching powerfully under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Um, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, for example, and verse 14. This man who had denied Christ, he is speaking openly. 
Acts 2.14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Galilee, and he preaches a, a powerful message based on the Old Testament and the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And then 38 to 40, when they were convicted of their sin, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He continues, chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, and there he meets a lame man, and uh, in the name of Jesus he is healed. And then chapter 5 and verse 29, Peter is hauled before the authorities and interrogated. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. No intimidation here by people, what they're going to think. He learned the danger of overconfidence. A third thing that shows us how to fail successfully when we fall and fail, he didn't give up. There was a friend of his by the name of Judas. Judas made a serious mistake, but he gave up. And uh, he took his life instead of repenting like Peter did. I think in the fourth place, Peter was successful through his experience of failure in that he didn't excuse himself, he didn't rationalize, he didn't blame others for his wrong. Justifying a fault basically doubles it. And uh, a fifth way that he failed successfully, he accepted correction. And he couldn't quite figure out what Jesus was getting at after the resurrection and the um, men's breakfast, shall we say, on the sea of, seashore of, of Galilee. When Jesus said, Lovest thou me, Peter? Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? He accepted the correction and the confirmation from Jesus. Now, there was a fellow by the name of Gatling. And he had this uh, sort of the equivalent of a nuclear deterrent idea back in the Civil War days. He decided he was going to build a gun that would be so deadly and so devastating, uh, so violently uh, murderous, that uh, no sane army commander would think of using it uh, because it would slaughter so many people. And so he uh, developed this gun and uh, a war machine that uh, he thought no rational army would think of attacking others with it. A device with eight to ten barrels uh, revolving on an axis and it just mowed down scores of, of soldiers. And as he realized that this was not working, this was not working as a deterrent, he felt very sad about this and he decided he's going to put his energies into something else and he built some sort of a plow, a motorized plow, which had, uh, well, sort of the idea of swords into plowshares, I guess, was the idea. And so he's remembered not only for the gun, but also for the plow. Turn with me to... Uh, Acts chapter 13, for another failure, a man who failed successfully, I believe, John Mark was a failure. Paul and Barnabas took him along as an assistant on the first missionary journey. 
Acts chapter 13 and verse 5 tells us the latter part. They had also John to their minister as their assistant. And then verse 13, um, Paul and his company, loose from Paphos, came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Well, we don't know exactly the reasons for this, but it appears that uh, he was a quitter, at least in Paul's estimation. And chapter 15 of Acts and verse 38 tells us that Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. I am gratified and encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul later on. In uh, 2 Timothy, Paul made this request, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And his work has been useful ever since that. At least I think he wrote the Gospel of Mark. Then there was another man by the name of Thomas. Turn to John chapter 20 for another successful failure. He has the name of doubting attached to his name. And uh, he flunked big time the test of belief in the resurrection. And he said in John 20, 25, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, a week later, Jesus appeared to him, invited him to uh, touch his nail-pierced hands and spear-pierced side, and uh, Thomas said, My Lord and my God. The outstanding thing about Thomas was his uh, comeback from disbelief to being a faithful preacher of the gospel, and he went to India. Uh, at least that's the impression we get from the pages of history, and he began churches and even today there are churches there named after him, the Thomist churches. And in India, it's believed that he became a martyr. There are other Bible characters that didn't fail successfully, Demas being one of them. He left the truth. He left the Apostle Paul, having loved the present world. Demas hath forsaken me. Sad words. So how is it with us? How can you and I fail successfully? We realize that some failure on the part of each of us, no doubt, is going to happen. Pretty well inevitable. We can be a successful failure if we will admit our wrong. So admit your wrong, have less confidence in yourself. Rely on God's power to keep you from falling. Don't give up. Don't become embittered by the experience. Don't excuse yourself or rationalize your mistake or blame others. Learn humility. Learn to sympathize with others who fall and help them back up. If you've been untrustworthy, begin again and become profitable, like Onesimus was to Paul and Philemon. If you've doubted the Lord, place full confidence in Him, and share the gospel as He directs. In other words, if you learn from your mistakes and don't repeat them, you have 
failed successfully. Let past failures be guideposts for future advances. Don't think a person really becomes a failure until he's satisfied in being one and remains in his fallen condition. Let failure be the opportunity to start over again wiser than before. The church consists not of the successful, but of those whose failures have been redeemed. Our Savior is the lifter up of those who fall. And at this point, if you realize you've made some serious blunders, you've denied the Lord by your actions or your heart's condition, there is opportunity. There is hope. Do not give up like Judas did. Do not turn away from the truth like Demas did. But learn from your mistakes and allow the Lord uh, to revive you and to restore you. In conclusion, I will point out that there are some mistakes whose consequences are permanent. There was the rich farmer who Jesus called a fool. He had a bumper crop. Luke chapter 12 tells us about this. And he said, you know what? I'm making so much money. If I expand my holding facilities here, I'll have enough money laid up for me for the rest of my life. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. And he had no concern for his soul. Jesus reports that the Lord said, Thou fool, this night your soul is required of you. So is each of us who is not rich toward God but is concentrating on being rich in goods. His mistake was permanent. In the book of Matthew, Matthew 25, we read about the ten virgins, five of whom were wise and five were foolish. The five foolish ones did not have oil. They didn't have, shall we say, the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they weren't ready for the return of the groom. A lesson for us. We must be ready for the imminent, the unexpected return of Jesus Christ. The door was shut for those five foolish virgins, and someday the door will be shut to us if we don't get right with the Lord. We've all sinned, we've all come short of the glory of God, but there is hope. And our mistake of rejecting the Savior doesn't need to be permanent. And as I told you yesterday in my own personal experience, I'm so grateful that the Lord had mercy upon me and extended opportunity for me to repent and continued to call, though I had repeatedly rejected the wooing of the Savior and of the Holy Spirit. Let's be ready to learn from our mistakes. Let's be ready to die Let's be ready for the Lord's return.